Acts chapter number 11. And we began this chapter last week, and we were seeing where uh, Peter was defending his going to the Gentiles, to the church that was at Jerusalem. But before we go any further, let's go ahead. We'll go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll go ahead and dive into our study. Dear Lord, we come to you today. Thank you for your blessings, and we do thank you for the day that you've given us. We thank you for this opportunity that we have to be in church today. We thank you for everyone who has uh, gathered out together, Lord. We're uh, just thankful for the the fact that we can we can come together, we can gather around your word, we can study it, we can learn about you, we can grow from it. We thank you, Lord, that you're always with us, that you never leave us nor forsake us, Lord. And Lord, we just pray, ask you that you administer to hearts and lives today as is needed. And help me, Lord, as I teach, Lord, just guide me in my thoughts and help me to say the things that are, are needful and, and accurate. And Lord, I just pray, ask you to be with those who are still on their way out, be with those who are unable to be with us this morning due to work and, and travel and, and sickness and different things, Lord. And Lord, help us as a church to be a light and a witness to this community that you've placed us in. Lord, we want to be able to, to truly be your body uh, in this place, Lord, and your hands and your feet and your mouth as we uh, try to live out the things that we we see in your life and see in your scriptures, Lord. And we thank you so much for all that you do. And all these things we pray in Jesus' name and amen. Okay, so as I was saying last week, uh, Peter was giving a defense of his actions to the, the church that was at Jerusalem. Uh, we saw that uh, whenever... Uh, they had heard about it, that they had, uh, it says, excuse me, in verse number two, that they contended with him. And so there was a contention that was there. There was a, uh, a misunderstanding. There was a disagreement that was going on. And so we looked last week at how that was dealt with and how that um, both sides showed humility, showed grace. They actually listened, actually communicated. And through all that, the problem was resolved and they realized that uh, God was guiding this thing, that God was uh, leading them to leave uh, Jerusalem and Judea and truly go into the uttermost parts of the earth with the gospel, that he did accept the Gentiles. And so this week what we're going to see is the explosion of the gospel into the, the area of the Gentiles. Uh, we're going to see the first time that the, the uh, believers are called Christians there in Antioch, and one of the things that jumps out to me in this passage, I'll go ahead and tell you before we read it, and that way you can be looking for it as we read it, is just the way that the uh, the church was interdependent and interconnected. And there was just the idea of them depending on one another and needing one another, and uh, just the way that they, they were helping one another. And if you start studying through the scriptures, you find all kinds of uh, one another passages in scripture. And especially in the New Testament, where uh, we are being encouraged, where we are uh, being taught to love one another, care for one another, forgive one another, uh, minister to one another, edify one another, all these different things in Scripture. And so we see this playing out in the church in this passage that we're in, and I believe it gives us a very good illustration of what God intended the church to be, how he intended for it to function, okay? And so let's look in... Uh, Acts 11, and we're, start, we're going to start reading down at verse number 19, where we left off last week. It says, Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phenos and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but the Jews only. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, uh, which when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. The tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch, who when he came and had seen the grace of God, was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they should that they would cleave unto the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost, and and of faith, and much people was added unto the Lord. Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. 
And in those days came a pro- came prophets from Jerusalem unto Antioch, and there stood up one of them named Agabus, and signified by the Spirit that there uh, should be a great dearth throughout all the world, which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in, Jer- in Judea, which also they did, and sent it unto the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. And we find in this passage a lot of movement going on, a lot of different things happening, and many different people who were involved. And the beginning of this tells us that the believers were spread abroad because of the persecution. We went over this in the past, and we saw how the the early church, the first believers, were content to just stay there and enjoy the fellowship and the, the family and everything there in Jerusalem and growing and meeting together and learning and studying and all these different things. And it was a great thing there in Jerusalem, but they were getting very comfortable there. And the Lord's Great Commission told them that they were to be witnesses of him in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. And so whenever uh, they were stagnating, they were staying still, they weren't allowing this to go forth into the world, God knew that he did not want this to be just another Judean sect. That this wasn't just supposed to be an extension of the Jewish religion, but this was what he had in place all the way from back in the garden whenever he said that the seed of the woman would bruise the head of the serpent, that all nations would be blessed by by this one that was going to come. And so rather than allow them, them to stagnate at Jerusalem, he allowed them to fall under persecution. And one of the main persecutors, of course, was Saul, right? Saul of Tarsus, and he was the persecutor. And because of him, they started fleeing Jerusalem. And if you're being persecuted by the Jews, where are you going to flee to? You're going to be scattered amongst the Gentiles, right? Mm -hmm. And so these places that we read in this passage were areas that were uh, were Gentile areas that had a high concentration of Gentiles. And basically they were going to these places so that they could hide from the Jews. Okay, they were hiding from the Jewish authority, the, the Jewish persecution that had arisen. And while they were there, uh, everywhere they were going, they were carrying the gospel with them. The gospel of Christ was so life-altering, so transformational to them that they couldn't keep it quiet. They couldn't remain quiet about it. Even as they were fleeing, they were preaching the gospel to those they came in contact with. And it tells us here that as they went through these Gentile regions— they were still keeping the gospel just to the Jewish people. They would go to where there were synagogues. They would go to uh, fellow Jews because we know how it goes whenever we're in a foreign land. You're going to uh, a lot of times uh, be drawn to folks who are similar in culture or belief, right? Uh, something that I've learned from being around Kevin, Katie, and Jacques and Jennifer, there's a lot of South Africans in Ireland. And they actually keep good connections with one another. They seem very well connected. Everywhere we go, we even went we went down to the, the zoo one time and we ran into other South Africans and they connected. There, and it just That happens, right? But the Jews were the same way. They, was, they were traveling around as they were going to different places. They would go to different Jews and they would tell about Jesus. And so as they'd run into another Jew, they'd say, hey, we have found the Messiah. That was a very Jewish thing. We found the Messiah and they would preach unto them Jesus. And many were believing. But for whatever reason, prejudice or uh, misunderstanding or whatever it was, they were withholding the truth from the Gentiles until it got far enough to where there were some that didn't have these uh, limits on themselves. And they went ahead and started sharing it with their Gentile friends, their Gentile brother. And so we see that taking place there in... um, Verse number 20 says they spake unto the Grecians. So those of Greek descent, those who had come out of the Greek empire. And so they spake it unto the Grecians, and the Grecians, a great number of them believed. And so in uh, the last part of chapter number 10, uh, Peter takes the gospel to Cornelius. The first part of chapter 11, the Jews realize that this is of God and that God accepts the Gentiles as well. And now in the last half of chapter 11, we're finding that the Gentiles are starting to believe in great numbers, and there's a shift taking place 
from the church being predominantly Jewish in nature to now uh, a lot of Gentiles coming about. And today the church is predominantly Gentile in nature, right? With a few outlying Jews. And so this is the way that the church spread. This is the way the gospel went out. And so they heard the gospel. They uh, believed in great numbers, verse 21. And then news travels fast. Uh, long before the internet and everything else, long before television, the news still had a way of getting around. Uh, for some reason in our mind, we think, you know, 2,000 years ago that everybody was so isolated and so separated and how uh, how they lacked in technology and ability. And honestly, it seems like they got along as good as we do, right? Look at how broadly, how vastly the Apostle Paul traveled. Look at all these different places. We're finding people moving around all over the place. If you just follow the, the different locations of Aquila and Priscilla, that's kind of amazing because they lived in several different cities all over the Roman Empire. They went from Rome and Corinth and Ephesus and all these different places. And so people were broadly traveled and news traveled fast. They had lines of communication. They had trade routes, all these different things, carrying news all throughout the empire. Okay? And anyway... News traveled back to Jerusalem that there was a great number of Gentiles. It wasn't just Cornelius anymore. There's a great number of Gentiles who have believed. And since they realized this was part of God's plan, they said, we need to uh, be involved in this. Right? Now, they had been saved without the help of the Jerusalem church. But the Jerusalem church had the apostles. It had uh, the deacons. It had some of the the most rooted and grounded believers there. And so they said, we want to see to it that these guys who are just believing, these ones that are just coming to Christ, we want to see to it that they get more than just salvation because whenever you look at the Great Commission, it says that you're to teach all nations, right? Go, go ahead and preach the gospel to all nations, teaching all things, right? And so it goes beyond that. And a lot of times we have the idea that this is just about seeing people saved, but God doesn't just want people to be saved. He wants to see them grow, and they grow through the Word. They grow through discipleship, right? And we see them called disciples several times throughout the Scripture, and so they said we need to get involved in what's going on down there because we want to see them growing and being successful. They've already seen persecution arising. They've seen that there's temptations to flee from the faith. There's temptations to turn away from it, and so they said, we want to see to it that they are healthy and that they are growing. And it's kind of amazing to me that out of all of this, that they choose Barnabas and send Barnabas. Any idea why they choose Barnabas? Okay. He was one of the open-minded ones, right? He was the son of consolation. But you'd think out of there being 12 apostles, that one of the apostles would go, Right. Peter went to Cornelius. Why didn't he go down to Antioch? And the Bible doesn't give us any answers for this. And it could very well be, I mean, I could go in and kind of try to judge it and tear it apart and dissect it, but the Bible doesn't give us that information. It could be that it was done by God's leading because we definitely know that things worked out the way that they were supposed to. Barnabas was the right man for the job. So it could be that God led them to do this, we're going to find later on that uh, God tells the church there at Antioch, separate unto me uh, Barnabas and Saul, right? And send them forth as missionaries. And so it could be that the Lord guided them, showed them that uh, Barnabas was the man for the job. But however it came about, Barnabas ended up being the one to go down. And as he went down there, he jumped right in right away. He didn't have any qualms about it. He didn't have any hesitation. He didn't need a vision from heaven with a sheet let down, right? But instead, he just jumped in down there, and he began to teach them the things that he had learned, the things that he had seen, telling them about Jesus, the things that he had taught, telling them about all these things that uh, was forming the basic uh, doctrine, the basic teachings for the early church, because remember, they didn't have the Bible yet. And so he was teaching them the things that he knew. Uh, he was full of the Spirit, and uh, the Spirit was leading him and guiding him, directing him in this. And he was encouraging them. 
And we see this here in verse number 23. He exhorted them all. To exhort is to uh, to encourage, to uh, guide, to uh, build up, right? And so this is what he is doing uh, to these people here in the Gentile regions. Right? And as this is going on, he recognizes something. He recognizes that this is a job that's too big for him alone. It's too much for him to take in just by himself. And so what he ends up doing is he says, I need help. And this is kind of a theme of this entire passage about the fact that everybody needs help, right? We'll look at that here in just a minute. But he says, I need help. Who can I call on? Who can I look for? Am I going to send for Peter? Am I going to send for, you know, one of the other apostles? Maybe Thomas or Nathaniel can come down here. But in his mind, the Lord brings up Saul of Tarsus. Now, this is kind of coming full circle because why are all these Jews scattered abroad? Saul of Tarsus, right? Why is it that the Gentiles got the gospel to begin with? Saul of Tarsus. And now he began this by persecuting, and now he's going to come through and he's going to be the one to disciple them. And how in the world that could ever be put together, it could only be by God, right? The one who had scattered them, the one who had persecuted them, is now the one that's going to ground them and encourage them and build them up in the faith. And so that's an incredible story just in itself, isn't it? And so some of these people who had been scattered and was taking the gospel abroad, some of them had been saved longer than Saul had been. You ever think about that? It's kind of an amazing thing. But anyway, back to Barnabas and Saul. Barnabas remembers whenever he was up in Jerusalem that Saul of Tarsus came into town saying that he had received a vision on the road to Damascus, that he had been converted, that he had been saved, and that he was now a believer and sent of God. And the people in Jerusalem, the church, the apostles, all of them, did not believe. And no one would give him the time of day. No one would entertain even the thought that God had a plan or God had a purpose in the life of Saul of Tarsus, except Barnabas, right? And so anyway, Barnabas says, I remember Saul, I remember his zeal, I know his knowledge, and I believe he would be a good fit in this ministry. The Jews may not like him, the Jews may not trust him, but if nothing else, he is a Grecian Jew, so he is familiar with the Jewish, or excuse me, the Greek culture, He's familiar with Greek society. He has Roman citizenship. He would be a good fit into this. And so he goes and he seeks after Saul. And this idea of him seeking, he doesn't know where he's at. He's looking for him. He's searching for him. The same word that's translated seek here is the same one that is used whenever uh, Jesus at 12 years old uh, remains in Jerusalem and he's there teaching the, the priests in the temple and Mary and Joseph go a few days' journey before they realize they've missed him, and they go into Jerusalem and they seek for him, okay? So it's not like this idea of, okay, I'm going to write him a letter, I'm going to send a messenger, I know where his address is. It means I'm going to go and search and figure out where he's at. And so during this time, uh, Saul has went out into the wilderness and been instructed of the Lord. He basically received the the New Testament, his understanding of the scriptures in that time as the Lord communed with him in the wilderness. And then he went back to his hometown where he was probably rejected and disinherited and abandoned. And so he would have probably still been ministering. He would have been preaching. He may have seen people saved. He may have been discipling there. We don't know. The Bible doesn't say. It's silent on the matter. But he was isolated from the rest of the church. And so with this, Saul needed help as well. He was struggling to find his place. We're in Acts chapter 11. He was struggling to find his place in the work of God, even though God had worked in his life, even though he had been saved, even though uh, God said, you're going to be doing great things, you're going to be a witness to me or witness of me amongst the Gentiles, amongst kings and rulers and all these things. But he is in Tarsus and he is probably probably a little discouraged. You might be, and I'm reading into this, okay? So give me a little bit of latitude here. But he's probably a little discouraged. He's probably still trying to feel his way around, trying to figure out what's going on. And Barnabas comes to town, a familiar face. 
one that actually liked him and showed kindness to him. And Barnabas says, it's good to see you. I've been looking for you. And he would have been taken aback by that, right? And he says, I need help. And I think you're just the man for it. And this is after Saul has been rejected by the leaders in Jerusalem. And not rejected outright, but they couldn't wait to get rid of him because things were tense and things were uh, troublesome while he was there. The persecution at first and his preaching at the last, but either way, it stirred up things in Jerusalem and caused there to be tension there. And so whenever he left Jerusalem, the tensions died down a little bit and they said, we're glad he's gone. Okay, no one's reaching out to him. No one's trying to help him. And so Barnabas shows up and says, Saul, I need your help. And Saul is just glad to see someone who's glad to see him. Okay. And so him and Barnabas come down to Antioch. They spend a year there. They're ministering amongst the people. They're discipling the people. And the church is growing in that area. And it tells us there uh, that they were called first uh they were called first Christians in Antioch, there, verse number 26. And that was originally, I believe, meant to be a derogatory term. It was meant to be an insult. But what it was that these people were so identified with Christ, they were acting so much like Christ, that it earned them the name of Christ, and they work with honor. Okay? And so this tells us a little bit about the work that uh, Paul or Saul and Barnabas was doing in that area in the way that the church was taking off the believers were growing and they were growing in their understanding and the pagans were taking note and they said these people don't act like Jews they don't act like Greeks they don't act like Romans they act like Christ and so they called them Christians there in Antioch and this is the way that it was growing just there in that first year of discipleship and even the fact that in verse 26, it says that they were disciples. Now, it takes more than just being saved to be a disciple. A disciple is a student. It is one who is learning under someone else, someone who is being taught, right? And so you can be, a, you can be saved. You can even call yourself a Christian and not truly be a disciple unless you are truly seeking after Christ, seeking to learn his way, being taught after him, right? Then you are being a disciple, and so these were discipled, and the last part of the, the chapter which we read there in verses 27 through 30 says that there were prophets that came down from Jerusalem, and they revealed that there was going to be a dearth, a famine that was going to come into the land, and one that was going to hit Jerusalem particularly hard. Now, Luke reveals to us here in Acts that by the time he is writing the book of Acts, this famine had come to pass. It had already uh, went by, it says that it came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar, so they could go back, they could check it out and say, yeah, this famine that they predicted really did happen, okay? But whenever these Gentile believers, as the Jews would call it, the Gentile dogs, right? As they heard that their brothers and sisters in Christ up in Judea, up in Jerusalem, was going to be suffering, they were going to be going through this hardship, they felt maybe a debt of gratitude, they felt a compassion, a longing, and they said, we want to help those who have so much helped us. And so everyone gave according to their ability. And they took up this collection and they sent it with Barnabas and Saul back to Jerusalem. And Barnabas and Saul brought this help back to that struggling region so they could minister to the believers in Judea. And so we kind of see things come full circle in all this, right? And so the reason why I kind of walk through all of these steps is I said, we all need help, right? And we see everyone interdependent, leaning on one another, giving and receiving both all the way through this passage. The Gentile believers would never have been saved if it wasn't for the Jewish believers bringing the gospel to them, right? The Gentile and Jewish believers both were no longer Gentile or Jew, they then became Christians. And in order for them to grow, they needed someone that would come and would help them to understand, someone who would instruct them and would teach them. Because as I said, they didn't have the New Testament. They didn't have the scriptures. They didn't have that available to them. 
And so they were kind of like the Ethiopian eunuch. How can I understand unless someone should guide me? And so they needed help. And so the, the church there at Jerusalem said, we want to help them, but we're not able to just unhitch from here in Jerusalem and go down there. We have all of our ministry. We have all these things that are going here. We're tied up here. So we need someone to help us to go to them. And so Barnabas helps them by going down to the Gentiles and to the these new believers down here to help them grow, help disciple them in Christ. And whenever he realizes that the ministry is too much for one man, whenever he realizes his limitations, he is humble enough to say, I can't do it all myself. I need help. And so he goes to Saul and seeks him to help him. At the same time, Saul is needing someone to help him. And we see a mutual help going on. He's going to be helping Barnabas and Barnabas is helping him. And through all this, God is making the connections. He's moving the pieces. He's getting everything in place because this is something that's not necessarily highlighted in this passage, but God is very clearly at work behind the scenes organizing all of this. And so Saul is encouraged. He is receiving guidance and leadership. He is being plugged into a ministry. Barnabas is getting the help that he needs from Saul. And at this time, over this year's process, Saul actually exceeds Barnabas. He eclipses Barnabas, okay? Because everyone has different purposes, different skills, different abilities, a different place in God's purpose. And Barnabas is humble enough and willing to allow Saul to take the reins. And it goes from this idea of Barnabas and Saul to Paul and Barnabas. And Barnabas is kind of the one he said, he decides, I preached this in the past, that he became the second fiddle. And he was happy to be the second fiddle. But we see how they are interdependent. They are helping one another. And so as they are helping the church, no doubt the church was helping them because you can't just leave everything, come down there and live there for a year uh, without getting a little bit of help somewhere, right? And then in the end of that, they said, we need to help the Jews, the Jewish believers, who have helped us out so much. And so they help them financially. And so this all comes full circle. And so how does all of this apply to us? Well, the same thing as I said in this earlier, we all need help. None of us are created to function alone. The, the old adage is no man is an island, right? And in the culture, in the society which we live in today, we tend to be extremely independent. We tend to be very independent. We tend to try to uh, do things on our own. We tend to try to rely on ourselves too heavily. This is one reason why we struggle with faith and with trust in Christ, because it causes us to have to realize our limitations and the fact that we can't do it all of ourselves and that we need help. But that's not just with our relationship with God. It's our relationship with one another because God has made the church to be a beautiful thing in which we can find the help that we need to grow and to continue and to be resilient in our Christian life. Uh, if we are left to ourselves, if we are uh, trying to do this all alone, we are probably going to struggle and probably going to fail. We can look in the Old Testament, for example, in the life of Elijah. You remember Elijah and what a great man of God he was. He went up onto the top of uh, the mountain there and had the showdown with the prophets of Baal. Okay, you remember that story? And so as they were up there, he stood alone against hundreds of others, including the king of Israel. And he said, let us have a challenge and let us prove who is the real God, whether it be the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, or Baal. And they went through the whole process of making, uh, cutting up the sacrifices and trying to call down fire from heaven. The prophets of Baal, obviously, they're serving an idol. Nothing happened. Nothing. Elijah comes up there. He has them to completely drench the sacrifice, the wood, the altar with water in a time of drought, nonetheless. And then he prays a simple prayer. God answers it by fire. The sacrifices are burned up. He passes judgment on all the false prophets. He has all of them slain. The people of Israel half-heartedly say that God is the true God. It seems like a great victory, but still 
Elijah has been isolated this entire time. It was him versus everybody else, right? And so after this time, Jezebel raises up and says, I'm going to kill you like you killed my prophets. And he runs away. He goes to the cave. He is in despair. He is in the time of depression. And he says, I, only I, am left alone. They seek my life to take it away. Right? He was alone. He became discouraged. He was depressed. He wanted to quit. Not just quit ministry. He wanted to quit life. Right? And God comes to him and says, you're not alone. There's 7,000 more. And not only that, I'm going to send you to Elisha, who's going to come alongside of you, and you're going to be a mentor to him. You're going to be able to have a relationship with him to encourage him, and in the process, he's going to encourage you. And we see a great relationship between the two of those, and then Elisha ends up getting a double portion of the faith that Elijah had, right? And so God puts a, a great premium on this idea of dependence. We need to be depending on God, but we also need to make sure that we're not isolating ourselves, that we're not putting ourselves off separate, that we're not uh, trying to do this by ourselves, thinking that we don't need any help. Okay? I've used this as a, an illustration before, but, but children so often, they get to this place, they, they try early on to establish their independence, don't they? Now, it's meant to be this way whenever they're in their teen years and their 20s, the, the bird eventually has to fly the nest. And so there's that separation that starts happening, that independence, they start developing that. But it happens as early as infancy, doesn't it? Young kids saying, I'll do it myself. It's something that Melody's been doing. Melody actually does really well with asking for help. She'll come up to you and she'll say, help, help, help. And I've been trying to encourage that, Okay. I've been trying to encourage that. I want her to keep asking for help. I want her to continue doing that, but most likely just the way that we are as human beings, that's probably going to pass, and I'm going to start hearing, I'll do it myself very soon. I've told the story about whenever the girls were younger, that they would uh, they would climb, they would do whatever they could, uh, try and get stuff that was up high out of the cabinets, off the shelves and everything, because they would do anything, even to the point of risking their own life, to keep from asking for help. Okay. I could be standing there right beside of them, and yet they would be pulling over chairs, and they would be going through all of this, trying to climb up on the countertop just to get a cup out of the cabinet. And I'd be right there, and I could do it easily, but they would refuse to ask for help. Now, I'm saying this in a general sense. So I'm not pointing out or telling you which one of the children that was, but you can look at their faces and probably discern. But anyway... <laughs> But anyway, as we are looking at this, we need to realize that we all need help. We all need help. And not only that, there's also places that God has designed and people in which our lives can impact. And so not only do we need help, there are others that's going to also need our help. And this brings this interdependence idea in of us as Christians, as us as believers, realizing we don't have it all figured out. We don't know everything, and there are plenty of different people that God brings into our lives that need us and that we need. And it is a beautiful thing if it's done right, but if we're not careful, our temperament, our personality, our culture will stand in the way, and we will be like that example that I just gave of saying, I don't need help. I can do it by myself. I can figure it out. I can do it my own way. Now, just looking at this passage as we see this kind of going out, I've pointed out the different places where there is help, but I want to apply this a little bit more to us as well, because there, amongst this, um, these first couple of verses, we find that the the Gentiles, the lost, were needing someone to bring the light, right? And so God calls the Christians to be dispersed amongst the Gentiles, amongst the lost so that they could be a light, so that they could be a witness to the Gentiles, because the Gentiles, the lost, needed help to come to Christ, right? And so for us as Christians today, we are dispersed in this world. We are working jobs amongst lost folks. We are uh, going to different activities and hobbies and shopping in places, all these different things. 
we are dispersed amongst the Gentiles. We are dispersed amongst the lost folks of this world because they need help. They need help coming to Christ. The Bible tells us that uh, uh, how shall they uh, how shall they believe on whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? And so this is the idea. They need help to come to the Lord. They need help in understanding the scriptures and hearing the truths of the gospel. And so we are dispersed in this world that needs help learning and understanding the gospel to come to Christ. And that's not just for the pastor. That's not just for even the, uh, the older, experienced Christians. This is for each and every one of us where we live. If you know Christ, then we are being a light and a witness, and we are helping others to see Christ because they know us. Okay? And so this is the first stage of help. But not only that, but any of us as Christians are needing folks who can minister to us, who can disciple us, who can mentor us to help us grow in our faith. No matter what stage that you're in, there is someone out there who knows things that you need to know. I've told my girls all along that every man is my teacher. You ever heard that saying? Every man is my teacher. And what I mean by that is everyone has something that I can learn. Sometimes they're teaching me how not to do it, right? Sometimes you can be, uh, you can learn a lot from a good, bad example. I've used that, that phrase often, right? But as we are going through our lives, we need to be careful that we are not stagnating, that we are not putting out the limit saying, okay, I already know all of these things. I've already seen all these things. I understand these things. And whatever you start feeling is if you know it all or that you have nothing else to gain, if you look at others around you and you say, there's nothing that I can learn from them, nothing that I can glean from them, you have stagnated. One of the quickest ways for us to shut ourselves off to growing, to learning, one of the quickest ways to shut ourselves off to help is two words. Okay? Two words. I know. You ever heard that? We as parents hear that all the time. Tell our kids something. I know, Mom. I know, Dad. That's signifying I'm not willing to listen anymore. I'm done. I don't want to hear what you have to say. But we have that same attitude with other people around us, with peers, because they believe that they know it already and they have nothing from which they can glean from you, they don't need your help. Or flip it around, you might be that one saying, I know. You ever come to church that way? I might be preaching a message. I already know this. I've already heard this. I know. You shut down. You close off. That's the end of it. And there's no help from there, right? And so with these believers here, they are saying, we need help. We don't know everything. We haven't got it all figured out. And so they are welcoming Barnabas and Saul to come in and teach and instruct and cultivate. And you see that blooming. You see that growing. You see that being fruitful so much so that those on the outside are noticing it and are actually identifying them with Christ. Those who don't know Christ know Christ through them, right? You see that going on? This is highlighted even further when we come to Barnabas. Barnabas is the one who was sent by the officials, by the apostles, down to take care of this situation. Peter and the apostles had full confidence in Barnabas, and he comes down to this area and he says, I have the authority of the apostles. I'm the one who was sent by them, and I am here to teach and to instruct. And so y'all listen to me. Was that his heart? Was that his attitude? He got down there and he started looking around and he says, while I'm glad to be serving, glad to be helping, glad to be uh, used of God in this area, my desire for these people under me, these, my desire for these ones that I'm ministering to is that they will excel beyond me. And there's limits to what I am able to do. There's limits to what I can handle. And so he goes out to get Saul. 
And as I said earlier, that shows great humility. He said, I am limited. We don't like to, to come to terms with our limitations, do we? We don't like to deal with that and realize that there are things that we can't do, there are things that we don't know, and to seek the help to fill in those gaps. And so he goes, he gets Saul, and Saul is grateful, I believe, for someone reaching out to him. And he comes and he's ministering there. And Barnabas sets back and he watches as Saul is doing what he couldn't do. And I don't think he was just sitting and watching. He was ministering. He was doing all this as well. But God was using him to minister to the needs of these people. And in the end, these people had grown to the place where they had a love for the brethren, even the ones who didn't care so much for them, that they said, we want to be a blessing. We want to be an encouragement. We want to help those who started out helping us. See, the, the believers at Jerusalem, the believers in Judea, said, hey, look, we're going to go in and we're going to help the Gentiles out. Watch what we're going to do. We're going to help them. And by the end of it, the Gentiles are helping them. And so you see how this is flowing both ways? They are both giving help. They are receiving help. Because we do not live in a vacuum. We are not an island. And everyone has something that we need. And everyone has something to give. Right? And so just a couple passages I want to look at. We'll make a couple quick applications and we'll be done. But anyway, if we turn over very, very well-known passage of Scripture, Hebrews, chapter number 10. And I've taught on this different times. You already know where I'm going. Hebrews chapter number 10. I'll start reading at verse 23. It says, Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. Now, anytime you have the word let us, it's a choice that we have to make, right? Something we have to intentionally set out to do. And so he says, Let us hold fast to the profession of our faith without wavering. That lets us know that there is the chance that if we are not intentional, if we're not paying attention, that we can drift that we can go away from our God, from, uh, from our walk with Him. And so let us hold fast to our profession of faith without wavering, for He is faithful that promised, and let us consider one another to provoke to love and to good works. We've talked about this idea of one another already several times, but it says, <clears throat> let us consider one another and to provoke one another to love and to good works. And so this is this idea of this inter, interdependence. This is this idea of us working together to lift one another up, to build one another up, to edify one another. And so we come to verse number 25, and this is the verse that's usually focused on, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. This is often taught and preached as a commandment that you have to go to church, and if you don't, God's going to punish you. And this is one of the ones that we talked about motive not too long ago, uh, in Wednesday night, I believe it was, that we are motivated by fear. Okay, well, I can't miss church, because if I, if I do, God commanded me to be at church, and I miss church, God's going to be mad at me. But this entire passage of Scripture is telling us that we are a community of believers, that we are interconnected, interdependent on one another, and so we need one another because we have something to give and we have something to receive. Something to give and something to get, right? And so this is the whole purpose behind this, that the writer of Hebrews is telling us that we need to be careful that we don't drift, that we don't go away, because there are those within the body of Christ that need our experience, need the things that we have gleaned, the things that we've went through, the knowledge that we have, our giftings, our abilities and things. There are folks that are relying on that 
for their growth. And at the same time, there are folks with different giftings, abilities, and experiences that we need to glean from for our growth. Okay? And so that's what it's telling us here. And it's this idea of this interdependence on one another. Um, 2 Timothy. I'll tell you, I did not write down the reference other than 2 Timothy. So give me just a minute. Anyway, I'll have to look it up. I don't have it right before me right now. Anyway. Uh, Silence is uncomfortable, isn't it? <laughs> Anyway, there we go. Chapter 2, verse number 1. 2 Timothy 2 and 1. Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. Therefore, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And so what he is saying in that passage, Paul is talking to Timothy, the one who has been his protege, his, the one that he has mentored, the one that he has uh, continued to pour his life into. He says, all the things that I've been teaching you, find other faithful men that you can teach those things to so that they may be able to teach others also. We see four generations there. Paul teaches Timothy, Timothy teaches others, and those others teach others beyond them, mm -hmm. right? And so we see each of these helping one another. And I love the relationship of Paul and Timothy in Scripture. Timothy is the young man, Paul tells him, let no one despise your youth, right? Timothy it seems to be a uh, maybe a little bit of a timid guy, someone who uh, is maybe prone to falling to pressures and different things like that. He's still young in the faith, and so he feels intimidated by those who are older than him, maybe more experienced than him. And Paul says, don't worry about all of that. Continue to minister, continue to teach, because God will use you, God will equip you, he will give you the things that you need, and just remain faithful and make full proof of the ministry that God has given you. Okay, And so this is Paul pouring into Timothy as Barnabas had previously poured into Paul, right? And I think it was Barnabas that taught Paul this. I may be wrong. Maybe it was just Paul's uh, temperament, the way that Paul was. But here's the thing. Paul needed a mentor. He needed someone to reach out to him, someone to encourage him, someone to help him along. Barnabas was there and did it. Barnabas also did it to Mark, and at that time, Paul wasn't at the place where he saw the need to be this way with Mark. Remember, Barnabas, Paul, and Mark had went on their first uh, missionary tour, and Mark had abandoned them in the middle of it. Things got too difficult. Mark left. The second tour they went to go on, Barnabas wanted to give Mark a second chance. Because Barnabas is good at that, right? He says, Mark, is he's got his problems. He needs our help. He needs to be brought underneath of us. He needs to learn from us. He needs to be encouraged by us. And Paul says, no. He's already blew his chance. He's already left us one time. I'm not taking the risk. I'm not taking the chance on him abandoning us again. He sets his foot down. Barnabas and Mark go one direction, and Paul and Silas go a different direction, right? We're all familiar with that story? And Barnabas's time with Mark is fruitful. And Mark is 
grown and encouraged and strengthened, ends up writing one of the Gospels. And at the end of Paul's life, he is a desired companion of Paul. The very same one that Paul says, I don't want anything to do with him because he abandoned me. He says, bring him because he is profitable unto me. Right? And so I think along the line somewhere, it's not recorded in Scripture, I think Paul had to have a good, hearty helping of humble pie. Yeah, you're right. Okay? He ate some crow along the way because he said Barnabas was right. Mark just needed someone to help him. I wasn't willing to offer that help. And so now I'm looking at Timothy. And Timothy needs someone to help him. And I'm going to come alongside him and I'm going to help him because one of these days I'm going to be dead and I want this to continue on. So he mentors Timothy, who mentors others, who mentors others. And guess what? We're here today. Right. Because everyone needs help. We need to be looking out. We need to be reaching out to one another. We see in Titus chapter number two. Just turn, turn forward a couple pages there. Titus chapter number two. Verse number one, I'll read several verses here. It says, But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine, that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound, in faith, in charity, in patience. The aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded, in all things showing thyself a pattern of good works, in doctrine showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be contemned, that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed having no evil thing to say of you, and so as we see in this passage, it is laid out where the older ones are instructing the younger ones. The ones who have some experience under their belt that have went through some different things are coming alongside the younger generations and helping them to avoid the pitfalls and the traps and the discouragements that they have already came through, showing them the way, right? And we see this going on within the body of believers. And so it takes a couple things for this to happen, it takes humility, right? right? Mm -hmm. It takes humility because anytime, if you're the older one bringing the younger one, not necessarily by age, maybe by experience or maturity, if you're the older one bringing the younger one, it's going to take a little bit of humility, a little bit of experience because they're not always going to take your advice. They're not always going to, uh, to be willing to hear, right. right? It takes us having the right attitude, the right uh, motivation behind what we're doing, to be humble in doing that, to be questioned, to be accountable. It takes humility, right? Mm -hmm. But it takes humility on the part of the younger one as well because so often we want to do it ourselves in our pride. We want to set our own course, chart our own course. We want to be able to show the world we know what we're doing. And whenever we take that, that perspective, whenever we take... Uh, that mindset about us, what we're going to do is we are going to go through a lot of difficulties, a lot of hardships, get a lot of scrapes and scars and bruises that didn't have to be there because God has put people in our life to help help us steer through, help us navigate the dark waters from time to time. Right. And so whenever you look at this example of the church being interdependent and interconnected, it is a beautiful thing that God has given us to help us through this life so that we can be grounded in the faith, so that we can be growing in the faith, so that we can avoid the dangers and the pitfalls. And whenever we do have the difficulties and the struggles that come into our lives, we have other people that can come around us and help bear us through those, that we can depend one another, that we can bear one another's burdens. And this is the way that he intends for the church to go. The lost are never going to hear the gospel unless we're willing to help them. We're never going to grow in the faith unless we're willing to let others guide us and instruct us and teach us. 
We're never going to be able to teach and to help others unless we're willing to go where we are sent, unless we are willing to be subject unto God and to the things that he has for us, right? Mm -hmm. And in the end of all of this, we are to be giving help, receiving help, and sometimes we have to humble ourselves to admit that we need help and go out and find it, right? Because one thing about it, you might say, well, I'm the older one. I'm the more experienced one. I want to help some of these young ones out here. You ever try to help someone who don't want help? Yeah. Yeah. You can't do that. That's where they have to humble themselves and say, would you help me? Right? And so hopefully you can see from this passage the way that they're all interconnected. They were covering a large territory as well. And their lives were uh, coming in contact with one another and because of these contacts with one another, they were gaining, they were growing, they were receiving, they were being built up. Great things were happening, and God was behind it all, orchestrating it, right? And so this is what we should desire in our lives. Recognize you don't know it all, you need help. Recognize there's others around you, maybe they're struggling, and they need help, right? Recognize that there may be things that you can give, things that you have to offer. We all too often are constantly taking and never giving, right? And so we have things that we have to offer in this. And so in all of the things that we've looked at today, does anyone have any questions, any comments on anything, anything to add? I don't know how you lose the sense of hell in the body of Christ. And Apostle Paul wrote extensively of this right from the moment he was uh, converted at the spirit of Tassos and how that Barnabas came to the rescue mm -hmm. when uh, the believers became afraid of him because of his assistance. Mm -hmm. Barnabas was really here to him and encourager. And right from that moment, Paul picked up and Every bit of letters from Romans down to the last letters was full of examples of health at different levels. Mm -hmm. And in the book of Ephesians, chapter four, he, he, he emphasized on the essence of the body of Christ united mm -hmm. in the spirit. Mm -hmm. Where you have prophets, apostles, pastors, and so on and so forth, mm -hmm. for the purpose of being fully equipped, right? You know, that church might grow. So mm -hmm. my my conclusion is that without the church mm -hmm. coming to, to realize that we need help among ourselves mm -hmm. to be fully equipped, we can launch out to help the unbelieving world. Mm -hmm. So it's very important, you know, that. The scripture we read from Hebrew uh, chapter 20, chapter 10, mm -hmm. verse 25 of it, gave the reason why we cannot afford to forsake the assembling of one another. Mm -hmm. He said, because the second coming of Christ is near. Right. With this at the back of our mind, if you remember, remember that scripture that Christ is coming soon, mm -hmm. we cannot shy away from supporting one another to grow. Mm -hmm. Like what you are doing now, that you are helping us to learn scripture. Mm -hmm. You are helping us, you know, to get enlightened in the word of God, mm -hmm. and it's very important. Mm -hmm. Yesterday, I was just mm -hmm. beginning studying from the book of Romans, and then I was saying that the good news of God has a lot of benefits. Mm -hmm. You know, the good news transforms lives, mm -hmm. and it's helped. To see the essence of unity among believers, mm -hmm. so I it's very important that we help ourselves. Yeah. You cannot say that I don't need help. No man can live on no an island. We all, we all need help. Mm -hmm. I imagine how I was born. Help Timothy. Help. He help. Uh, uh, Priscilla. Mm -hmm. He stay with them. <coughs> the scripture. He, he, he help people of Antioch. Mm -hmm. In Athens, it helped to teach scriptures. Mm -hmm. So, help is very important. I pray right. God will give us grace to see the essence of help to the believers. Mm -hmm.
as you're saying that, something that come to mind was where uh, where Paul equates the the church, the the body of Christ, and talks about us being uh, all part one of another, but each each part having a different purpose. Just as your body, every part of it has a different purpose, but it's all one body. And so we see that uh, our body is interdependent, just like the body of Christ is supposed to be. And for us to be effective, we need to be uh, able to lean on one another, depend on one another, and to give and receive that encouragement, instruction, and help whenever it's needed. So not very good stuff. Anything else? Okay, if there's nothing else, let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer. We'll take a short break. Dear Lord, we come to you today. Thank you for your blessings. And we do thank you for the day that you've given us, Lord, for this time here in church. Thank you so much for your word. And I thank you, Lord, for just the, the wisdom and uh, the design that you have put into your, your body, into your church, and how we have such a resource if we'll, just, uh, if we'll just take part, take advantage of it, get plugged into it. Lord, we know that we're not meant to be uh, spectators. We're not supposed to be uh, the where all of it stops, but we're supposed to be uh, joined in and connected and, and ministering one to another, Lord, and help us to do this. Help us, Lord, to be uh, humble and willing to help and willing to receive help. And Lord, we just thank you so much for all that you do and all you're going to do. And all these things we pray in Jesus' name, amen. and amen.